Welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. And today we are jumping into day three um, between stimulus and response. And you quoted Covey right here at the beginning, Scott, and we're going to jump right into this. No messing around today. Um, He says this, our behavior is a function of our decisions, not conditions. And you, uh, you make an edit on that uh, function of our decisions. You say function of our choices, not our condition. Um, what's he driving at there, and, and what are you driving out by starting off this day three between stimulus and response? Well, it's, it's like the difference between a victim response, you know, uh, that I don't have any choice in what has happened to me. I have this condition. It came through my family. It came through my schools. It came through society. You know, it's kind of a form of denial. I don't have to, t- I don't have to take responsibility for the choices I'm making, what Covey's saying, oh, yes, you do. And uh, it's not being predetermined that this is, you know, or that I just inherited these genes. I'm just like my mom and dad and how they responded to life. I'm, I'm doomed to respond that way. You say, no, that's not true. And then with what we're learning in neuroplasticity and neural pathways, it's even more, you know, it's we have the freedom to choose how we're going to respond. And uh, let's, let's, Let's remind our listeners of that uh, Frankel quote. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Right. So that, when I first heard that, that was news to me. Like well, it really does empower you in a, in a very meaningful way. Well, when I read uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Frankel years ago, that's what stood out for me, you know, and he's really referring to people who are in one of the worst situations you could ever imagine, like a living hell in those death camps in Nazi Germany. And he was saying that this was the difference between life and death between the people he was observing, those who responded from a different place of spirituality and those who, who didn't. And, and it's so... We have the power to choose. And that's what he was saying. That I remember him saying something like, you know, even they could choose to be humanitarians even in that situation. They could choose to serve the other inmates. There still was a good and purposeful meaning, even if it wasn't going to avail much as for the quality of their life. It was a choice. And those who did not choose to respond that way really suffered. And most of them, he said, just end up perishing. Uh, you know, are there times, and Scott, I want you to weigh on this too, are there times when our choices actually lead us to unfreedom? <laughs> and uh, yeah, because I, I get I get it here. It's that um, our behavior is a function of our choices, not our conditions. But sometimes it's the choices we're making that are really hindering the conditions of us being free. This is true. And I think sometimes... Um not everybody is paying attention to the fact that there is choice in all things. Um, one of my personal pet peeves is when I'm watching TV and if y'all ever pay attention, this line is used ad nauseum on TV and in the movies, somebody will do something and they'll say, I had no choice. (laughs) I'm like, you always have a choice. If you stop to think about it, there are, are choices to be made. And I think, Scott was already alluding to that, but a lot of times it's just, you know, we don't stop to consider, um, okay, is this just a function of a comfortable pattern that I'm used to, or um, just because maybe I can't make the choice that I want to make, does that mean that there's still no choice to be made? 
Um, so I think making choices is hugely a function of paying attention and recognizing, okay, this is uncomfortable and maybe I have to choose between two bad choices, but there's there are choices that we can make, even if it is um, whether or not we're choosing to um, have we can choose our response. We can choose our attitude. That is always a choice, the, the attitude that we we choose. And so um, when we don't stop to really consider and weigh in like our actions, um, then it does become a perpetual cycle sometimes of, of dysfunctional responses because we are not considering the fact that perhaps there is a, a different door to go through or a different choice to be made, even if that choice is changing our attitude. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point she makes that we uh, are not always fully aware of uh, the choices, you know, what they're bringing into our lives. So to actually uh, be more self-aware, to take account, and that's actually what you guys do in, in Restore Small Groups is to take a pause, to reflect on, okay, are the choices I'm making bringing good things into my life or are they bringing more pain and suffering in some way? And Scott, you um, uh, sometimes our choices are addictive behavior. So it isn't always making a choice for something more positive. Sometimes it's to, to make a choice to stop some, some harmful behavior or addiction in our lives. Right. In groups for years, I've used Bradshaw's model of how we end up with an addiction. And I'll show it to the groups. I usually do it in the first week or two. And this is his model. He says that it starts with a trigger or a stimulus. And this is kind of, this is linear going downward. He says, and so if I get triggered, I, I get something stimulates in me, then that, I move then towards an obsession. And that's where now I'm starting to think about my dysfunctional response. That's usually some kind of mood altering response. Hmm. I want to, I, I want to drink. I want to eat. Uh, I want to look at pornography. I want to, I want to, you know, get high on drugs. It, it can be anything something that ultimately so I start obsessing about it then he says once we get into the obsession deep enough it moves to what he calls a ritual and this is where now physically I'm moving I'm, I'm going to go buy the drugs I'm going to go get the alcohol I'm going to get the ice cream out of the refrigerator I'm going to turn the computer on to look at pornography whatever that is and then and each time we go down this next stage we're getting closer to which is the last part which is we end at the compulsion and so a compulsion is lots for us is it's I don't have the power and the freedom to choose my response. It's being chosen for me by the addictive behavior that I have accumulated and acquired over the years through how I've responded. So what we teach our groups is that if at the top of that sequence, when I do get triggered and I do get stimulus, if I was to process it, I should call you, George, and say, man, I'm really struggling with this has happened in my life. Now I'm starting to obsess about this. There's a good chance in talking with you and say, hey, Scott, let's go to Radnor Lake and go for a walk. And we'll talk about it and we'll process it. There's a good chance I can stop that sequence. But if I don't reach out to someone, it's really hard to stop that flow. Because once we get to the ritual, we kind of say that's the point of no return. Uh, I'm not going to call George. I'm, I'm not going to go for a walk. I want to I wanna get... I want a mood-altering effect. I want it to change. So that, and then once we do that, that becomes more of an ingrained habit, habitual response, and it becomes very difficult. Then we actually do lose the freedom to make our choice. And so it's important for people to see that 
that all our thoughts are cumulative, every time that I do respond this way, that deeply more ingrains that neural pathway. And so uh, it's important that we get into community, we get into a process where that process can be changed because it's impossible to change that alone. And so, yes, we do have the freedom to choose and we have, and one of the choices I have, I can say is, you know what, I don't wanna do this anymore. I wanna get help. I'm going to get into a restore group or something like that. But uh, that's, to me, a very valuable thing to understand. I have the power to choose my response, but it's going to be taken from me if I keep making a dysfunctional response. Then it gets hard which, and hard. Right. It's a, a neuropathway. So it's really unconscious at that point. Now, you can change an unconscious behavior, but it's so much harder um, to move from something that's been habitually reinforced that it becomes an unconscious compulsion, like, you know, going to your phone to distract yourself mm-hmm. when you're not feeling your best or when you just don't want to be thinking about something unpleasant, you just distract by scrolling through social media or whatever. Um, it could be any kind of thing, but that is where the hard work takes place to change those conditioned unconscious responses to like oh i actually do have a choice about whether or not i want to be doing this um, but that's where the hard work is because that requires rewiring our neuropathways and you both are saying uh isolation is deadly to mm. to getting out of that cycle yes. um it's impossible yeah really. it's impossible so uh, uh a spiritual friend uh, a meaningful, loving relationship, uh, a group like you guys do with Restore, uh, a wonderful therapist. Um, when we find ourselves stuck in these patterns, it does take opening an open heart that would, would move toward others in some meaningful way that you're not isolated in it all alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, Scott, you, um, I've heard you talk about Thompson, uh, is that a he or a she? He. It's a he. Integrating thoughts and choices. Um, we probably, when we're learning this new paradigm, this new way of transformation, that probably is done best in community. So we could work that out. So pe- we could people can mirror back to us our thoughts and choices and give us feedback. Um, but you, you, that's an important uh, point. Is Thompson's point here that somehow we got to integrate our thoughts and our choices together? Right. I mean, he refers to them as integrative choices and, and so thoughts and choices. So if you can think of, in grief, we talk about the cumulative effect of losses. That they, It's like a, a glass and when you start putting a, a rock and a pebble in for each one and eventually it gets full. Well, the same thing is with thoughts and choices. They accumulate. And so if I'm making dysfunctional thoughts and choices, which... It goes back to what Anne was saying. It's really hard to to redirect thoughts because it takes tremendous focus and concentration and energy. But if I continue to think the same thoughts and I continue to make the same choices and they accumulate, that just really, again, they say that uh, neurons that wire together fire together. And so that creates entrenched neural pathways. And it makes it very hard. We keep responding the same way and still making the same choices. And I'm still thinking the same way because that's what is it comes that's my normal, and that so to change that I got to start one day at a time, really paying attention to what my choices are and what my thoughts are and the choices of my thoughts, you know, 
And what he was referring to is how the brain gets disintegrated when we're making choices. Again, it goes back to that lack of integrity to the brain. If I'm making choices and and they're they don't they're not integrated into who I what I believe. Mm-hmm. So you could tell me, again, we've talked about this before, but you can tell me, Scott, you're a really good man. But if I'm telling myself I'm a terrible man, it disintegrates that and and the brain gets all frustrated and won't work. So if I hear from you that God loves you, you're a really good man, and in my own mind, I'm telling myself, I am loved by God, I am a good man, that's an integrated choice, and it's going to, it's going to bear fruit. It's going to start to wire. And if I can keep doing that for, I can't remember how many days it is, but I think it's like 60-some days, 20-some days for it to start to take root, and then about 64 it comes permanent. But that's the good news, is that we can form new neural pathways. We can begin that process every day. But the bad news is, Every time we're still making the same choices and the same thoughts, it just continues to hardwire the already implanted. Um, in a we in the last day, we talked about how thoughts and thinking actually form what we're becoming. Like it isn't just something that's floating around in our heads or out in the universe somewhere, but these things are actually in some way we're embodying them and we're becoming what it is we're thinking. Um. And so Scott, Scott in the book, he said this, are your decisions matching who you are wishing to become? That's a key point and a key turn here is who do you want to become? And that's one of the things that uh, a group or having a meaningful conversation can really begin to help us think about who do we want to become? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of what's that's one of the things that we really do hone in pretty strong with our small groups is just really developing a vision for who we want to be, what we want our lives to look like, what the what kind of person we want to um to become and um then being able to like just really integrate that with our thoughts and our actions and, you know, our actions obviously are an outflow of our thoughts. And so if we're not thinking the right thoughts about ourselves that line up with who we want to become and who God says we are and who other loving people in our lives say that we are, um, then it's really hard to make those changes and those choices to, um, to, you know, step up to the next level of, of who we're becoming. But, um, Yeah, I think um, recognizing that like we do actually have a choice about the thoughts that we think. Um, And I know we've talked about that before that that verse in scripture that says take every thought captive. And that doesn't necessarily just mean like when you're having a a bad thought or you you think something unkind about somebody else or your mind is going somewhere dark. Yes, those things, you don't want to dwell on those. But I think also just being, again, going back to mindfulness and understanding like where is where is my brain going when it's at rest and I'm not actually actively, you know, doing a task or engaging with somebody when I'm just by myself, what kind of thoughts am I thinking about myself? What kind of thoughts am I thinking about the world? What kind of thoughts am I thinking about God? And do those ultimately align with who I want to be and who I feel like God has said that I am. And if not, that's when we have to start doing that hard work of really counterbalancing and thinking correctly um, so that we are forming new like trenches and neuro like our we literally can change the landscape of our physical brain with the thoughts that we think and understanding that and being mindful of that. That's a powerful thing. Scott, the journey of transformation sometimes at the very beginning is just transformation and movement out of 
some kind of addiction or struggle or just unhealthy way of being. Um, and so for some people, it starts there. But uh, I would imagine your understanding of transformation is that it isn't just I can be, you know, just get up to the, uh, what's the word, the bar, the level, you know, of just making it or just surviving. But we're talking about helping people understand that transformation is about the fact that they can be so much better. They could rise so far above just getting by that there is a way to live more fully, open-hearted, um, with hope, with joy. And uh, until you can see that, and it isn't just, okay, now I'm not hurting myself, but I can actually thrive in this world. Yeah. Um, I think like, you know, the, there, there's that scripture in John that says like, uh, Christ has come to give us abundant life. And I have struggled with that so much in my life, just feeling like, okay, I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't feel like I'm experiencing that abundance. I don't feel like life is what is meant to be um, until I really did come to that place of understanding like, oh, there is more of this that I actually can play a part in and that um, I can change what I think about myself. I can change where I'm going. I can change the person that I want to become. Um, and it starts with the thoughts that we think. And that that's huge. Like those thoughts that we think are going to manifest themselves into the life that we have. So choose your thoughts carefully. And that's where intentionality yeah. um, of having other people witness to that when we're struggling to see it for ourselves. Um, I can't remember her name, but she's a psychologist. Um, and she says that, uh, how do I want to act in a way that's congruent with my values? Um, and so, uh, and she, uh, she gives an example. I can't remember who, I can't remember who it is now, but she gave an example of how sometimes uh, parents could feel guilty for not spending time with their kids. And so we could obsess about the fact that we didn't spend time with our kids. And that makes us feel so horrible about ourselves. But what she helps point us to is that that's actually pointing to a value. And it's much more helpful to see the value. And the value is this, is that your kids are important to you. And so if it's beating yourself up for not spending time with them, that's one thing. But to actually be aware that you care so deeply and love your kids so much that you desire to spend more time with them, that's a different kind of energy that heals us and pulls us forward. Same thought, two different interpretations. That will take you two different places. And that's what we're talking about here in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott, um, uh, Covey says that it's not what happens to us, but our response to what happens to us that hurts us. So it's our response to what happens to us. Um, how, when there are, when there are just, we're overwhelmed by things that are happening in our lives. Um, it's really hard for us as human beings to, to not react, um, in ways that are hurtful to ourselves and in others. But the awareness of awakening to this, that it's in that moment that we can decide differently and it can change everything. And, and how we experience those those negative things. But that's a hard thing for us to learn, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, changing how we respond to life and 
when we are, have a deeply ingrained dysfunctional response. Um, and that's one of the things I was going to say is like, we don't want to, f- everybody hears word transformation, they automatically think of, well, I'm going to stop some kind of dysfunctional behavior. I'm not going to do that anymore. I've been transformed. But it's, it's just the opposite of that for me. It's, it's I, I have become set free. I have become a different person. Mm. And I don't respond that way anymore. The focus isn't on the problem. The focus is on the solution. Mm. And that's why I love the thought. This to me is a very, very important chapter. When I wrote this, this was, if a person could understand this, because to me it's so hopeful that I, I'm not doomed to respond and to be the same all the time. Otherwise, we're just dealing with the symptoms. But I, I put here that, so I know every day I wake up now, I try so hard to focus on, I want to grow today, just today, because that's the only thing I got. Today, and to take today captive and to really make it count is that uh, I want to grow into a man of faith, hope, and love. That, that the stronger those get, that my character would, would reveal that that's who I am. Do you say those are your values? So yeah. when you're facing struggle or difficulty, you're reminding yourself my values and who I want to become are grounded in faith, hope, and love. That's right. Yeah. And then that would lead me to a different response. And so my focus for the day is not on not doing this, but my focus today is on becoming this. And, and that takes tremendous concentration. Um, and I was thinking also that what this chapter should mean to the viewer is that, that this is growth. I'm not going to do it perfectly every day. Mm-hmm. But just being aware of it and focusing on it, and those days accumulate, that creates a, a mindset, I'm growing and I'm, and I'm expanding versus being the same way. Because when we keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, we know that's insanity. I want to break out of that route. And so it's uh, I have this little thing that I am creating. It's called a vision, mission, covenant. So God and I, for this day, have a vision for how the person I'm going to be today, how he would respond to life. He, and he would be a person of faith, hope, and love. Is it something that stays the same every day or changes? It's, 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 it's for me, it's, it's evolving. It's evolving. Yeah. And then, uh, so, so I have that. And then, so vision is the person that God is growing me into how he would live in his character. And then mission is the impact my life is going to be. So I figure, well, if today, the only person I really get to talk to is a person at Kroger that bags my groceries. I'm going to speak into their life and say, thank you. I'm going to say their name. Tell them how much I appreciate them. That they're going to know, hey, like that guy, there was a, that was a feeling of love. And so, but my impact on life is my mission, what I'm going to do with my life. And so, I, and, and being the best at that that I can possibly be. And so, covenant is a partnership, an agreement between God and I. So, we are going to co create today. This is the life I'm going to live today. And if I co create that today, and I do it tomorrow, and I do it the next day, they start to accumulate, it, we evolve. Mm-hmm. We grow into that. And that, to me, that is just such a hopeful thing. And the best, again, not you know, talking about it, it's just who we are, but that needs to happen in community. You need fellow travelers. You need fellow partners for the encouragement, the support, the accountability, because it's really difficult. In isolation, it doesn't happen. That's why we say that it's so important for a person to believe that they're a part of something greater than just themselves. So it really does matter that George and Anna and Scott grow into the best version of them they can possibly be, whether they're in their 60s, their 50s, 40s, Anna. And uh, 
It's you see that one. I mean, it's in each stage of our life. I think it was Paul that said that we're growing spiritually and inwardly all the way, even though he said outwardly we're diminishing. Because I think about that. The the statistics show that when a person retires, they die pretty quick. And and then I was reading again. I think it's Blue Zones that book where they studied where people live well over a hundred in the world. There's like seven or eight of those zones, and what they found was what kept those people going into their hundreds was that there was a purpose and a meaning for them. They were so valuable. So we're not meant to just. I know that people love to go to the beach and just retire, but but we're not meant to just drift. You know that the value and the purpose of our, our life is just over. Just have fun. So I hope that makes sense to the Absolutely. listeners. We all need something meaningful that we're aiming for and, and, and working at. That is, that it's, is purpose, sort of, vision, yeah. mission. And take that mindset for today. I'm going to make today count. Yeah. I'm going to have a vision of the person I want to grow into and how the mission he's going to impact. I'm going to have that covenant and I'm going to co-create with God that today. And that starts to build us as we evolve. What I love about the way you said it is so open-ended. Because yeah. it can ebb and flow. It can adapt and evolve to the season of life you're in, the circumstances that you're facing. Um, what a what a healthy way to live. But to be intentional thinking about that day in and doubt is just beautiful. And Anna, um, you witnessed to this in groups, but so I got two questions for you. One, what does it look like when you see someone in a group, you know, it's reflected back to them their life isn't over, you know, and that someone else sees meaning and purpose through how they live. Um, that's a beautiful moment in a group experience to just to witness to that. And then um, just how do you how do you experience that when the light bulb goes on and it's like, hey, I matter. <laughs> um, I add value to this world. And because of that, it gives me vision and, and a reason to live. Yeah. I can see, um, I can see that in group with, um, you know, if somebody has to miss a week and they're out and everybody else just really can feel that absence when somebody's not there, um, just because the nature of, uh, the kind of healing community that we build together, like every single person is integral and important. And then, uh, you know, somebody, maybe if, if they have, have to miss for whatever reason on any given week and then they come back and everybody is like oh my gosh like it wasn't the same without you we we really missed you and I think when you begin to experience that like oh my gosh I am valued like I actually am I'm am meaningful to this group of people and and they want me here um that really does kind of like build some self-esteem um you mean all the limping that I do in life and I still matter here. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah, we're not looking for, for people that have perfection or the answers mm-hmm. or have it together. Like we are here to just love one another well along the journey and love one another unconditionally and be each other's cheerleaders. Um, so that is, yeah. Um, we, we, I back, I don't know, about a year ago, we had a, a woman in one of our groups and she had done other like small group kind of things and other different capacities, not with restore. And, um, one thing that she said that I thought was so impactful was like, I have never really shared my story before because I never really felt like I mattered until I came here. Mm. 
Like I didn't feel like it would make a difference whether I shared or not. Um, and I think that speaks volumes to the kind of ministry that we do, that every person that comes through our doors is meaningful. You matter, your story matters. Um, and, and you're going to feel that in, in, in group. Yeah. Graciously listening has a huge impact upon, upon other people feeling loved and worth and value. Mm-hmm. Empathetic listening. Empathetic. Empathetic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what does that mean, Scott? This Covey talks about it in his book. Mm-hmm. It's listening with the heart versus the mind. He says when we listen with our minds just alone, we're usually thinking about how it affects me. And where heart level is, it's just about you. It's just about you. Listening with your heart. Yes. Wow. That is, would be a way that we could all be transformed if we could all grow more into that. Right. It, it, no longer it has to do with anything but being validated. It's 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 about true connection. We are here for you. It's intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's intimacy. Tell us, George. Tell us, Anna, where you are. What's going on in your life? I care. We care. We are here for you. Versus, well, that affects me this way, and I don't know if you know. It's which is what we do in our heads. And in, in social media, it just exasperates that isolation and loneliness. So I was going to say this chapter to me is so meaningful in so many ways. But I, I was writing here that uh, a question that I ask myself every year is that, am I becoming a better man? So am I a better man today? Is this a better version of me than it was at this time last year? And the, question, and the answer to that question, I think, would reveal to each person if I'm not, I'm, I'm missing it. And that doesn't mean that this last year was not maybe one of the most painful and difficult years I've ever had in my life. But did I learn? Did I grow? Did I get better? Did I use it? Those are the responses that we have the freedom to choose. Or did I just bury my head in more distractions? Or did I actually even get maybe worse? by not paying attention to it. Um, Tom says in his book, and I think it's one of the greatest things he says, God is always trying to get our attention, but we're not paying attention. If we're not paying attention, we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. So We miss I, a lot by not paying attention. We miss everything. Yeah. Do, so, I, do I see the man that God is inspiring me that together we can grow you into? And, and to believe that, hey, I know you're in a tough place. Maybe the toughest place you've ever been in. But I'm in it with you. And we're going to get better. And we're going to learn from it. We're going to use it. That's, you know, that's the transition. He talks about that being, Covey talks about being transitional people. You know, that um, I don't transfer my dysfunction onto other people and my family, children. But I am the element of change. So how do so that's what makes it simple to me. It doesn't matter how insignificant you think your position is in the world, how tiny you may be, it is significant. You becoming the best you and expanding into that person is going to affect the world. And that's how we can change our world together, one life at a time. All right. Well, uh, we want to end with just some questions, a quick speed round to both uh uh, you as listeners, and then also to Scott and Anna right here. But in the very end of the this chapter, Scott, this day, you said, 
Are you manufacturing joy or unhappiness? That's a great question to ask. Because joyful people are proactive and they give their lives positive energy. So uh, that's a great question for all of us to be asking. Are we manufacturing joy or unhappiness? So be intentional about that. Ask yourself that. Maybe find a trusted friend um, that could give you some feedback. But what is the answer to that? And are you being proactive? Because there's a positive energy that comes from that. Okay, speed round with Scott and Nana. Here we go. Uh, Scott, do you think you can choose a different response to your problems? Or is it all automatic? You absolutely have the power to choose. Absolutely. And it makes all the difference in the world. And I can feel the difference when I make the positive choice. Even when it doesn't seem to be anything to hope for, if I still believe it. And that's where believing that I'll go back into the Bible and I'll just read all the places where I've been reading the Valley of Dry Bones and what is impossible for man is all possible with God. So just believing that no matter what I'm seeing, I can choose my response. And that just fills me with hope. And physically, we know now we feel hope. And that they say also that, that when we believe hopefully in our brains, that uh, it, it actually makes it, a, it forms neural pathways. Mm. And I want to be a hopeful person. That was your speed round question. Well done. Anna, um, do you think you can choose a different response to your problem or is it all automatic. And what would you say to someone who feels like they're stuck in an automatic response? Mm, it's question. hard for them yeah. to think that they can change it. Right. We know that choice is available, but the key is, are you paying attention and are you self-aware? Um, I think that is the key for being able to choose is you have to be mindful. You have to be paying attention. Like where does, where is there a choice here? Um, and then when you find yourself kind of um, automatically going to a conditioned response, like, practicing mindfulness enough to be able to start undoing that, which is a long, slow process, but the choice is out there. Yes. It's a process. It is a process. But we can, we can make progress. All right. Final question. Scott, what usually makes you give up? Shame. It's too late. Just a a negative mindset. It's too late. It doesn't matter. Um, Too many mistakes. You know, it's just, limiting the possibilities by just seeing it through my own eyes, a very shame-based paradigm that's steeped in my own power and ego versus seeing it through a God paradigm. You know, what usually makes you give up? I think a sense of overwhelm when I feel like I'm carrying too many heavy loads at once. Um, that causes me to give up. I, I sometimes I think my own negative paradigm is that I'm in it alone and nobody's going to come alongside to help me. Um, but I can always reach out and ask for help. So, uh, yeah, when the load gets too heavy and I just want to give up, that's when I need to reach out and ask for help. Well, you've heard it from Scott and Anna. Thanks for joining us uh, today. We'll be back again with another episode. But today, our behavior is a function of our choices, not our conditions. Live that well. Over every mountain, there is a path, and the future rewards those who discover it and press on. So stay on the path, friends.